Hello, good evening and welcome back to another live show with me, Harry Simeon. Hello, good evening and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, it's the Premier League show with myself, Harry Simu, and my two fantastic panellists. Let's bring them in to your picture. Uh, for those of you watching us on YouTube, big hello and a big hello to Mr. Dan DeLuca. Welcome back to the show, mate. A lot has happened at Spurs since we've last spoken on a podcast. So looking forward to getting your thoughts. How are you? Yeah, all right. A lot has happened at Spurs since we last spoke at all, like four, four, five days ago. But yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you? Not too bad, my friend. Not too bad. And also joining us is uh, the uh, salt to my pepper. What should I call him? I don't know. <laughs> Simon Alavi. Welcome back to the show, mate. You all right? <laughs> all right. Yeah. Good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Coping. Coping, as they say. Right. It's another edition of the Premier League show. We're going to be going through uh, the big games in the Premier League this weekend. We'll be running through the results uh, and touching on all the main talking points before we delve into anything in uh, any sort of detail. Let's run through this weekend's Premier League results on Saturday, the 23rd of November. Things started at the London Stadium, West Ham 2, Spurs 3, Bournemouth 1, Wolves 2, Arsenal 2, Southampton 2, Brighton 0, Leicester 2, Palace 1, Liverpool 2, Everton 0, Norwich 2, Watford 0, Burnley 3, Man City 2, Chelsea 1. Interestingly, Man City were the only home side uh, at the weekend so far uh, to pick up all three points. And then, of course, on Sunday, just the one game, Sheffield United 3, Manchester United 3. Um, we're going to start off by talking about that Man City-Chelsea game. It was a really, really entertaining watch, I thought, particularly the first half anyway. Uh, Manchester City didn't start the game too well, but they did get themselves uh, back into it pretty swiftly. Goals from Kevin De Bruyne and, of course, uh, Riyad Mahrez. Alavi, what did you make of the game? Because Chelsea have, have received a lot of praise lately. Uh, but Man City showed that they've got a little bit more know-how, a little bit more now when it comes to getting over the line. And that was the difference for me. What did you make of the uh, fixture? Yeah, I think that that was the difference, really. If you, you know, they went 4-3-3 up against each other. And if you look at those three central players, so Man City obviously had the Boyner Silva and Rodri and, um, you know, Chelsea's equivalent three was... Uh, Kante, Kovacic and Jorginho. So not, you know, that's where the difference is, I think, in quality. I think Chelsea, we have to give Frank Lampard credit. He's probably done better than what we all thought. There's, you know, there's some people who would say that he's been forced to play the, the young players. Actually, I think that's a bit unfair. I think he has been forced, but he's still done well with the tools at his disposal. I do think they need to sort of decide which one of those three is going to sit. And I think that that told in the end, you know, City clearly, they let Rodri, they let Rodri sit, pick up the ball from the centre-backs, whereas Chelsea back in the day, it was Kante. But, you know, that's that, that one holding midfielder isn't quite as evident anymore. And I know Lampard wants them to be more fluid. But at the same time, these teams now, they play such high lines. You see um, Stones and Fernandinho and, and the equivalent at, uh, Chelsea play such high lines that you do need that one player to sit and Chelsea haven't quite figured out who that is 
okay, you, you could argue against that and say, well, that used to be Kante and he was at the other end scoring the goal. So, yeah, my argument wouldn't be quite as valid if you look at it from that standpoint. But I'd, I'd, I think they need to decide that. I think they, I think they can probably give themselves a big pat on the back, Chelsea. You know, they've, they've far exceeded our expectations, whether that's because Arsenal, Man United and Spurs haven't been at the races. That, that's another argument. Are our, our City out of the title race? I'm probably the only person in the world that still says no. If they beat Liverpool at the Etihad, it becomes six points. They've normally got a better goal difference. They have got a better goal difference. Unfortunately, it's done on head-to-head for them, so they'd have to beat Liverpool by you know more than three-one, or the equivalent of um, you know beating them by more than two goals. So, yeah, uh, do you know what? The actual game I really enjoyed. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I see a bar probably City Liverpool, whenever I see a game be- between the top six, my first fear is it's going to be they're going to ca- cancel each other out or it's going to be tense. And I think that was the opposite. You know, the first half especially was I mean, it was just a brilliant game of football to be honest. And 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 both teams came out of it looking uh, looking good. Luca, what have you made of Chelsea this season? And, uh, you know, we know what Manchester City are all about. There's no point in sort of going around old ground here. But we know that Chelsea are a young team. We know they're developing under Frank Lampard. Overall this season, have you been impressed by what you've seen at Stamford Bridge? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, after a slow start, the first three or four games, they, they, they sort of started. But they've exceeded expectations, haven't they? Um, they've played some good football um, for, you know, for... For years, me particularly, I've, I've been really critical of, of Chelsea in the sense that they've won like five out of seven FA Youth Cups, but you never actually see anything come into the party. You know, Loftus-Cheek started to break through. Um, Hudson-Odoi made made um, some appearances last season. But now you've seen this whole raft of new players that we've never even heard of. And actually, they, they, look, they look the part like they've been there two or three seasons. And the fact Frank Lampard has managed to integrate them um, has been fantastic. A credit to him, a credit to a credit to Chelsea's academy, um, and actually, the long term benefit is you know you might start with Chelsea to get the mix between the big players they've historically brought in and some of the youth that they've been working on for the last you know ten to fifteen years. So, um, and the thing with Lampard, I get the impression that you know this isn't necessarily driven by the, the transfer embargo. I, I actually feel that he would have done this anyway. Um, so it's nice to see him being able to stamp what he wants to do, you know, on a club. And to be fair to him... Sorry, Dan, would you not... I get what you're saying, the the transfer embargo, you know, he may not have done this without the transfer embargo, or sorry, he may have done it anyway. But do you not think that there's an argument that the transfer embargo has meant that there's less pressure on Frank Lampard, therefore setting the ground for him to be able to do this? Oh, oh, definitely. I definitely agree with that. And actually, I'll go as far as to say, if it wasn't for the transfer embargo, I don't think Frank Lampard would even have the job, if I'm honest. I reckon if there was money to spend, that they would have gone out and got um, a top manager like they, they normally do, or, you know, the, the fashionable manager that year, whoever's doing well in Europe, and they'd have bought him in and given him a sack full of money. So I, th- I think the two things complement each other. Um, Frank Lampard, in the back of his mind, probably knows he's got the club legend status, which is going to give him, you know, a free season, which other managers don't get at Chelsea. Um, he's used that to his advantage. Look, you know, while he's winning, he can he can do what he likes. So, he, he, you know, a slow start at the beginning, maybe first two or three games, not so good. Um, but you've got to look at Christian Pulisic. You know, he, he, they've, they've not just thrown him in, have they? He, he's 
he's allowed the young players to settle into the season and he started using him sparingly. So I've been quite impressed with what I've seen by Frank Lampard. Um, quite impressed with Chelsea. I don't think they're the finished article defensively by any means. Um, I still think there's some tactical naivety that you need to iron out. But I think when you approach things in, in a brave, courageous way, sometimes those tactical flaws remain. So like Lavi pointed out how the two teams matched up. And if you play the same formation as the opponent, yeah. 99 times out of 100, the best players win. That's what happened on, on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. What's Saturday? Saturday yeah. afternoon. Essentially, City won because they had better players. And in particular, um, Mares, who's not pulled up massive trees for Manchester City. And it's not because he's a bad player. It's just because the other players there are better than him. Um, but on Saturday, he looked exceptional. And you compare his performance to Willian, and that was the difference uh, across the two sides. And interestingly, I read after the game that that was Pep Guardiola's lowest ever possession in a game of football um, yeah, right. over like 380 games. So what you saw there, the pure difference was just some better players being more clinical at the right times. Um, Dan, Dan, was that article the one I wrote to you about seven hours ago? I don't, I don't, I don't know. To be honest, I just, you know, I get such an influx of information now. Like everyone's, <laughs> um, <laughs> Dan, I think that's like to a degree, though. I think you're maybe taking the Lampard moral high ground. Like you're really telling me, if he had a hundred million, he wouldn't have used it or used the hazard money. He'd have just gone, no, no, no. I believe in these young players. It's like, interesting there's, debate, no man- it? there's no manager in the world that does that. No manager um, in the world that does that. That's like you know. Do you give the winning lottery ticket back to the person who's it really is? No, but you give. You, you to, give like. you, no, but you, you know, you you you. If you I don't know, if you won the lottery, you'd give some of it away, wouldn't you? Maybe. You know, yeah, of course. But, but yeah, so I, 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 I mean, obviously, still. I don't. I don't know this. I just get the feeling that Frank Lampard would have still bloodied some youngsters. It's a bit like you know, Solskjaer's done it to, to much less success, but. You know, he, he just strikes me as someone who has that philosophy. Solskjaer's got all sorts of money to spend. He decided to spend it on Harry Maguire and still blood some youngsters. I think Frank Lampard um, has got a lot of um, He's got a lot of love for the club, clearly. He's got a lot of belief. He knows the academy probably more than most. And, um, you know, it's, it's working out for him. And they're playing exciting football. And I think when he gets some money to spend next season, I don't think he's going to splash as many as they normally do. I don't think you're bringing five or six signings. It might just be one or two. Um, so overall... yeah. Even though Chelsea have won league titles in the past, if I was a Chelsea fan now, I'd be more excited than in previous seasons. Yeah, that's fair. And, and you know, they're, they're right to be optimistic. Chelsea have uh, impressed people so far. They've been brave in their approach. They've been bold in their approach. And, and Frank Lampard is having to learn very quickly on the job, isn't he? Let's move on to another manager who, who's been recently installed in his position, even more recently. And that is Jose Mourinho. Of course, he's taken over at Spurs. Um, I'm going to come to Alavi on this first because I'm going to get some more in-depth uh, thoughts on this from Deluca being a Spurs fan as he is. Uh, but Alavi, when you first heard that Maurizio, what was your initial reaction? Because for me, it came as a, even though I knew his cycle at Spurs was coming to an end, I think the way it came out, that I think it was a Tuesday evening or a Monday evening, it just suddenly popped up on your phone, Sky Sports, push notification. There you go. Maurizio Pochettino has left Tottenham. I was surprised. What, what, what did you think? I was surprised until I saw who was going to replace him. 
that's how I, you know, I'll be, I was surprised, I'll be surprised if I were then going to replace him with an Eddie Howe or someone like that. I don't think I was surprised in a sense that how many times have we sent interviews to each other over the last six months where we've gone, Posh isn't happy there, Posh isn't happy there, he's having a little dig, he's having a little dig. Yeah, I was surprised at the timing of it, but at the end of the day, I think you have to pull pull the trigger at some point because if you look at it, we're in a unique situation here where you've got Arsenal, Spurs, possibly United, West Ham, uh, you've got Ralph Hassan Southampton, you've got maybe even Norwich. You've got these what, seven, eight managers who could go. Uh, Silver as well. In the next seven, uh, in the next, uh, you've got seven managers who over the next seven days could go. It's unbelievable. So actually, if you don't pull the trigger soon and get the guy that you want, you're in danger of someone else getting him. It, if Daniel Levy waited three more weeks, right? And... Arsenal going and swoop Jose Mourinho. Who does who, who does Daniel and but he still needs to get rid of Poch because there, there's you know the but did the, but did Poch not did gone did Poch not deserve until the end of the season to turn things around given all that he's done for Spurs in the last few years given that he's got I'm playable's advocate here because you know that there is a good argument that Jose Mourinho is a a more advanced manager than, than Pochettino, given the things he's won. But is there not an argument that from Tottenham's perspective here, you know, and given that their league position, it looked disastrous on paper, but when you actually look at the distance between themselves and the European places, it wasn't irretrievable. No, is wasn't. there an argument here that that it was unfair to pull the trigger on Maurizio Pochettino, but given everything he's done? We'll go, no, we'll go to, obviously, Dan in a sec, to give you some more in-depth on Spurs, but... What I'm saying is you're damned either way, aren't you? So let's just say that they waited to the end of the season and Spurs, you know, ended up finishing sixth and didn't do well in the Champions League. And Jose Mourinho has just turned things around at Arsenal. Everyone would turn around and go, oh, you know, why did you try and continue the fairy tale story? You could see what it was like at the end of last season. Look at the start of the, this season. They're 14th. They're playing, you know, their football they're playing isn't great. You've got three, four players wanting to leave. You know, you bring in a manager who doesn't care about Ericsson. He doesn't have any affiliation with Ericsson. He doesn't care about him being on the bench. So what I'm saying is you, you never know the benefit of hindsight either way. And if you are going to pull a trigger in this current climate to get the best, you, you just have to go with your decision and stick by it and make it as early as possible. Well, I'll go to Dan because obviously he'll give us... <laughs> I thought Dan's article summed it up quite well. Like the, the best way you can, dis, you know... The best way you could almost summarise Pochettino's reign is that they are able to get a manager like Mourinho. I think it's quite a good summary. Over to you, Dan. Yeah, I think that's. <laughs> um, I think I think that's it. I think um, you know it, it's a real tough one in the sense that with with Pochettino, he he was so affiliated with the fans, and the fans were affiliated with him, the team. But everything had been together for too long that something had to change. And there's only one thing that can change. You can't change your fans. You can't, a chairman's not going to wake up and sell the club. And you can't sell every player in November and replace them with a new squad. So inevitably, the situation was only going to be broken by, by Mauricio Pochettino leaving the football club. Um, did he deserve more time? The answer to the question is yes, he probably did deserve more time, I would say, in the sense that. 
<clears throat> you know, there's an argument that says he's only been poor for four months. Okay, there's another argument that says league form has been terrible for um, a lot longer than that, and actually it's been bad since since January. Um, obviously, there's some excuses there, but there comes a point where excuses have to run out. Um, the reason I think it was a bit harsh on Pochettino initially is actually I don't blame him for. Tottenham's poor form. I think there's been a myriad of things that have happened. You know, the the lack of funds from the new st- the, the new stadium, the couple of years playing at Wembley that sort of dented all the momentum. Um, certain contracts not running out or running out because Levy won't pay the pay the wages. You know, some people criticise Levy as well. I don't I don't blame Daniel Levy for not paying um, Christian Eriksen the same amount Harry Kane is on because he's not worth that amount of money, and that's that's the reality of it. So there comes a point where there's only one thing that can change in it, and it's Pochettino. And the question for the club is, how long do you leave it? So you can leave it to the end of the season, but then, you know, that's a season, an entire season being written off. So I think, like Aladdy said, exactly. for me, it was more about, I didn't want, I didn't want to say it's Pochettino, his time is up. I accepted the fact that he wasn't going to turn it around. And it was a question of how long do you give him? There's an argument really that says we gave him quite a long time. Um, you know, Newcastle defeat was a one-off. Um, the Leicester one was really unfortunate. You've got VAR, like, photoshopping people, so they're offside, you know. Um, then, you know, you get a couple... Then the performance against Brighton is completely unacceptable. You know, to go to Brighton and lose 3-0 in that manner, that is a beginning of the end. Then you get in that spiral, like like a lot of clubs are leaning, where everything starts going wrong. So, like, you know, you'll look like you're about to beat Everton and then someone freakishly breaks their leg and you're down to 10 men and you can see the goal and... Them spirals don't break, you know, that it's just, you know, the agenda set and you can go and you can win three games and then you lose one. And the only way to break the cycle is to change your manager. So that's that's done and it's an independent event now. But Luca, you say it's independent. Like how much do you think was because of someone who me and you think is the best manager of all being available? And how much do you think Poch had to go? So let's just say Mourinho has another job, he's in Madrid or something. Can I, right? can I just say there is there is absolutely no argument. At this moment in time, given his last two jobs, that Jose Mourinho is the best manager in the world. That is, all right, all right. Uh, that is a nonsensical argument. On, on paper, that okay. I think one, I of, think what, one of the best managers in the world. Okay? Was, if you use okay. the word was, Alex, you can't that. tell me you can't tell me he's not still one of the best managers in the world. What I'm saying is, if that caliber of manager isn't available, and really, unless you're going to get you know Allegri or something off his sabbatical, uh, unless. Mourinho isn't available. Does Poch lose his job? So I think when we were talking a few weeks ago about about Pochettino and what Spurs should do, I I kind of said, you asked me, do I want him out? And I said, I, I don't want him out, but I accept he's not going to change it around. And and I think the club should be starting the process to identify replacements. So they should already be thinking about a shortlist of who they might like to manage a football club. And opening the market instead of talking about just Mourinho is a fair thing to do. It was a rare situation where there are two world-class managers sat without a job. So you've got that to consider as well. And then you might start looking at other managers and saying, so look at Manchester United last year. They sacked Mourinho, ironically, because at the time they had to. They didn't sack him because he was a terrible football manager. They sacked him because he was doing a terrible job at that moment in time. Okay. So, you know, Klopp, you would say Klopp now is one of the best managers in the world, wouldn't you? Yeah, Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Dortmund sacked him. He was tenth in the division, and you know he had been like eighteenth in in February, and he was losing games to teams like Paderborn, who no one even heard of. So managers get to a point where they're doing a terrible job at that football club for whatever reason. Um, 
Pochettino was there with Tottenham. Klopp had been there with Dortmund. He had a bit more credit in the bank, maybe, just a little bit, because he won a couple of league titles. Mourinho was doing it at Manchester United. But you start looking at who's available. Solskjaer was bought in for seven months. He was bought in as an interim manager. The reason he was bought in as an interim manager was because the board couldn't keep the manager anymore and they were starting to identify possible replacements. One of them, ironically, was probably Pochettino at that time. So that is what Levy had to do. Um, so he would have started looking for replacements. He would have sounded out Jose Mourinho, if that was who he was interested in. Clearly he was. He might have sounded out Allegri. When the Amazon documentary comes out, it, it might emerge that he contacted 11 other managers first and none of them were interested. And then Mourinho will have a soul. Harry Redknapp. Harry Redknapp. Harry Redknapp offered, him, offered himself out. Um, Tim Sherwood. So, so I guess my point is, in a long-winded way, he, he had to go. The club had obviously started the conversations probably after the Bournemouth, uh, after the Brighton game. After that game, you can't watch that game and not start putting feelers around to see what your options are. It's impossible. Um, and, and you know, people who read the Express and believe believe Daniel Levy called Mourinho up at like half past eleven at night and said, "Please, will you join?" And he said, "Yeah, okay, I'll be there in the morning." I mean, it's absolute nonsense. They'd obviously been sounding yeah. him out for a while. They obviously, you know, sold him a vision. They'd have had lots of conversations. From from my perspective, like I said to uh, Lavi and in in the article I wrote, this is Pochettino's trophy, if you like. This is the reward for his tenure. He didn't get any silverware for a multitude of reasons, but this is the demonstration of how far he's took the club um, to a place where Jose Mourinho feels we are in the sphere of clubs he would be interested in taking try. over. Yeah. Um, so, mo- moving on to the the actual game. Um, just conscious of time because we've obviously yeah. been speaking about the, the managerial change, etc. Moving on to the game itself, there were some fundamental differences, weren't they, Dan, in the way that Spurs operated? They were they were playing a lot longer, in my opinion. Um, I thought that Mourinho's system allowed them to get more out of Deli Ali, um, and there were various other aspects. Was you pleased by what you saw uh, in Mourinho's first game? I mean, I put it like this to somebody earlier on. Mourinho probably saw the best and the worst of Spurs, didn't he, on that day? He did. Um, and actually, it was it was perfect in a way. It was better than winning 3-0. Um, because what you don't want is Mourinho to turn up, put in a fantastic attacking display, which no one's expecting, and then get a clean sheet and thinks, well, this is not going to be that difficult. Actually, this is what Tottenham are. Tottenham need to be 5-0 up, and then you can maybe get a cup of tea and stick your feet up and enjoy the rest of the game. So it was it was great in a way that it was a reminder of what the job what the job is there. Um the performance the performance was great. What he did was he he provided some balance, some really simple balance to the side. He had one guy out on the left, one guy out on the right. You know, there's one number ten on a football field. You can't play with three number tens. You know, if you put a number ten in at number eight, he's ineffective. If you put a number 10 in a number 11, it might work if that number 10 is as good as David Silva or you've got two fullbacks who can bomb forward to make to, to give you the balance. You know, we, we don't have that anymore. So what he did was he picked one of every position and he played that. Fundamental basics of football. Like if you had two really good goalkeepers in your squad, you wouldn't play them both on the pitch. You wouldn't say, I'll just stick. Um, what I'll do is I'll just stick, a, you know, let's make a shit example up. I'll stick Claudio Bravo at right back because, you know, they're both good goalkeepers. You don't do that. You play one goalkeeper, you play two centre-halves, you pick your formation and you you pick players. If you're going to play, you know, three number 10s, let's say you play uh, Eriksen, Lo Celso and, and Dele Alli, you know, two of them are going to be useless and wasted out wide. So what he did 
was what every good manager should do in the first instance, which is just pick the best player in every position, in your opinion, and work with that. You know, circumstances once every now and then means you might have to change. But, you know, it's like when you ask someone to pick their team of the season and you look at it and it's got like, you know, six forwards in it. Like, come on, <laughs> just be, you, that, that's paper. But in the real world, you can't do that. So oh, I was pleased I, with that. I never know, though, Dan, like when I look at these games back, whether I'm just making the manager out to be something more special than he really is or whether he has genuinely thought of that. So like, the, ha, has he played that long ball? repeatedly because he somehow already knows that the keeper you've got in at the moment is better with his feet than Super Lorenz. No, I do I think that Do you know what I mean? That, or not? I think in that instance, playing the ball long, it's just Mourinho being Mourinho and taking the safer option rather than trying to build out from the back. But That's... you're acting like they were like hopeless long balls. They weren't. No, no, I'm not saying like, that. There was he's... a smartness to it. But he's eliminating a risk, isn't he? And, and that's there is a risk with playing out from the back. As much as we all think it is the right well, way yeah, to play Yeah, you know, football. you're an Arsenal fan. Exactly. Right? There is a risk to that. And Mourinho is somebody who likes to mitigate risk. He doesn't like to take risks, particularly in that area of the field. But I look at it as like, look at Declan Rice. I think they exploited Declan Rice a lot. Like they took advantage yeah, of his But Declan naivety. Rice is an awful footballer. But, He's an did, awful but, footballer. But, but all they did was that they knew that they could draw Declan Rice in. Harry Winks could draw Declan Rice in and there was a massive gap always on that sort of right-hand side for Spurs attacking or the left, if you were, I think, of West Ham. And Ali, Kane and Son were just having a field day going into that space. Yeah, I think, and, ha- and I just think, ha- has Mourinho done something genius there? Or is it just a coincidence and anyone would know to exploit that Declan Rice has no I positional think, sense? I think Do you know a, I mean? lot of people, a lot of people in football now try to be too clever. Um, I mean, in a similar way, Mourinho, you know, he would have been, he's been out of work. He made no particular fact he wanted to get back into a job. Um, You know, whether Tottenham was his first choice, maybe it wasn't. But he sat in the Sky studio. So he's been doing work on Tottenham. And if you listen to how he spoke in the studio, you know, you hear him speaking and you think, you know, this guy's, this guy's clever. You know, he's, he's, he's a very, very clever football manager. So he already would have known in the back of his head, you know, when he's been asked to say, why have Spurs just lost 3-0 to Brighton? You know, he'd have had some ideas and straight away he's going to implement them. Um, he's probably had, a, you know, a week or two to think about this as well. So it's not like he's turned up on day one with a magic wand. But I agree with what you're saying, Harry, like eliminating a risk is 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 part part of his DNA. I just think, I do think he's a very, very intelligent football manager. I think, you know, he is one of a rare breed that can manage a situation for any opponent. And a lot of them, a lot is slightly that him of, you know, for parking the bus and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, he does do that from time to time. But I think you've got a manager in Jose Mourinho who can park the bus when he needs to, he can attack when he needs to, he can do whatever fits the occasion. And that's, that's the bit I'm looking forward to is actually the amount of times I've watched Tottenham go away to places like Liverpool and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, please don't attack for the first 20 minutes, like for God's sake. So just just having someone who has the ability to do the simplest things and play to the strengths of the players you've got, because that, that's what you need. That's what you need to do ultimately. If you then need to bring in, you know, look at Guardiola. He wants to play a certain way. Well, that's great. He will buy the players to do that. Obviously, Jose Mourinho can't buy players tomorrow. So he's got Davinson Sanchez at the, Sanchez at the back who is a strong guy, but he's a terrible footballer. He can't play football. Why do you want to pass the ball at the back to him? Um, do you want to pass the ball at the back to Serge Aurier? 
Because, you know, I can't deal with that at the minute. I've got a lot going on. Like, I, I can't be watching. <laughs> I, I can't watch that sort of stuff. So- you know? Socrates, you don't want to be passing you know, the ball out there. Do, do you want to pass the ball out to Ben Davis? No, thank you. So, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm excited to have a manager who is of... I, I love Pochettino. I think he's one of the top 10 managers. I, I really do. I think he's brilliant. He's doing a great job wherever he goes. Um, but to have one of the top managers in the world in recent times, even even to this day, despite a few faults, you know, it's just to have someone like that to steady the ship for a little while and to try and provide a different outlook. What's the point of sacking a manager after five and a half years who's been very successful to bring in someone identical? And a lot of people are saying, well, you know, Mourinho leaves the club, leaves clubs in, in a terrible state and, you know, he'd be gone in three years. Well, you know what? Two years is not a long time. You know, if we have to play in a different way for three years, well, you know, as fans, we're going to have to swallow that and abandon some of our principles. Yeah, that's fair. And and Pochettino, for all his brilliance, you know, he left us in 14th behind Steve Bruce in Newcastle. So is Mourinho going to leave us worse than that? He's not, is he? So, you know, they're two very different managers, two very different styles. But, you know, there was no point getting rid of him and not take the chance. To replace him. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say yeah. is, um, the very last thing I'll say, for me, as a Tottenham fan, once I the sadness subsided that we'd lost the manager that I, you know, I I loved like we all did. Um, for me, this was Tottenham finally becoming a big club and finally doing something a big club would do. You know, we actually had a situation where we could have held on to a manager for sentimental reasons, like you know, a medium-sized club might do. We could have gone and got, um, you know. Nuno Spiritus Santo or, you know, Eddie Howe, an up-and-coming manager who, like, we could have got anyway. But actually, for once, we've acted like a big club. And if it doesn't work, you know what? In two and a half years, three years, we'll, we'll do something else. You know, it's it's, it's a positive move. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, overall, you know, you, as a Tottenham fan, of course, you're going to you're gonna be excited. I think Jose Mourinho, for, for all the divisiveness that he brings at times he's he's a character he's the type of character that if he's yours you love him and that's what Mourinho brings to the table and you could see the buzz I mean the game at the London Stadium the other day there was West Ham fans waiting to take pictures of him or waiting to get autographs from him and it was almost like a welcome party wasn't it for Jose Mourinho rather than being the London derby that it actually was um let's quickly just touch on West Ham before we move on because West Ham are a club who are in dire straits at the moment. Manuel Pellegrini is up against the wall. It looks like he he's not going to be in charge for much longer. Um, West Ham in general have been poor. A lot of people have been pointing at their goalkeeper um, as a real problem. It's been a problem area. Lucas Fabianski being out is a massive, massive blow. Uh, Roberto's coming. Alavi, have you seen a worse goalkeeper in the Premier League in recent times than Roberto? I mean... I, I I knew Roberto a little bit from his time at Olympiacos and I knew that he was, well, in my mind anyway, he was a decent goalkeeper, a goalkeeper with lots and lots of experience. He's played in Spain, Portugal, Greece. And I thought that as a deputy on a free transfer, it was a signing that was, you know, quite a shrewd one. It made sense, but it's not proved to be the case. Just how bad is this keeper and how much of an effect yeah. is he having <laughs> on the player in front of him? I mean, it's like, it's like the difference between just really, you know, when you're the way I was thinking about it was, you know, when you're young and you're playing like 11 aside for the first time and like your goalkeeper 
like just can't kick the ball out the edge of the area. <laughs> and you, you just fear getting a goal kick. You're like, oh, like, what's the point? Like, it was honestly like, you know, watching that. He's just, he's not obviously making great saves, but he's not even doing the basics, right? And to say that all of West Ham's problems are because of a, you know, a keeper injury would, you know, would probably not be just, but it does seem to have had a bigger effect than it would have, you know, on any, you know, all the top clubs have lost their top keepers this season, but the, the differential here is just something else. They started well, West Ham, everyone had relatively high, high hopes for them. I'd probably stick with Pellegrini if I'm honest. I don't think they're going to do much better. Someone made a point about West Ham though, um, which I think was quite sort of relevant and pertinent. That was, can you, can you really name like their players anymore? Like, is there, do you know what I mean? Like, What's their best eleven? Can you do you even know half of these players? Like they're not like a, you know, whatever. I know, but you have like those all those sides that you think they might break into the top seven. You know, top eight. Your Leicester's and Everton's and everyone else. You sort of you know about their players. You know, you know something about them. You know about their identity. You know where they've been. But it's just like I just I think they've bought for the sake of buying in some areas. Mark Noble is still playing professional football. You know, that's a, that's, a, that's a bigger worry for me as a keeper. I think they've got the right manager. I just think they've got, they've got the wrong tools. Obviously, a lot's been said about the stadium. I've been to the stadium. It's, it's really weird. Like a re- that's the only way I can describe it. I haven't been to Upton Park several times for both football and boxing. It's really weird to go to that stadium and try and watch a, a game of football where the the team are known to have that atmosphere, that intimidating atmosphere. But I don't know how much of an effect that's had. But. This is the thing, Alavi. I, I went to Upton Park on a few occasions and not ever did I leave Upton Park thinking, wow, that was an incredible atmosphere. It was like, for me, it was the biggest myth in football that Upton Park had this incredible atmosphere. And, you know, we're going to come on to talk about Sheffield United in a minute, but I went to Bramble Lane recently and I thought that was an incredible atmosphere. Upton Park, for me, somewhat overrated and the West Ham fans for me need to just stop moaning about the atmosphere, stop complaining about everything and understand that their club have now got a stadium that fits what 50, 55,000 people enjoy it because I was there last season when they beat Arsenal and the atmosphere was brilliant. Enjoy it, embrace it, stop complaining about it. Dan, your thoughts? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Atmosphere in the modern game is always a struggle, isn't it? Things don't tend to t- don't tend to stack up, and what what people need to realise is this is a two way thing. You know, yeah. players generate atmosphere, but atmosphere can encourage players, and that's why sometimes you, you go to some of the worst teams in the world, and they're like unbeaten at home for about fifteen years because actually, you know, it's a it's a two it's a two way thing. Um, I I went to the stadium and it was a bit weird. There was um. I don't know, there was like a 1,500-metre race on the outside and some fella in the middle throwing a discus. And there was there was all sorts going on. And and, and suddenly, you've got West Ham there. Um, uh, and just like that, you look at the distance from the pitch. And, Wee! Tumbleweed. Um, you look at the distance from the pitch. Um, and actually, a lot's being made of the distance from the pitch. But actually, if you go to a lot of like the most famous grounds in Europe, like, you know, they've all got running tracks around the outside, like the Stadio Olimpico has, you know, uh, you know, so I don't even think that's a big deal. I just think what you're dealing with is a lot of people who are unhappy at the quality of football that they're seeing. Um, and 
they need to, like you said, they need to get behind the side. They need to generate an atmosphere. There's no point complaining about a lack of one. You know, there's enough people in there to make a noise, to sing a song. I know they might be, you know, struggling to find their seats or sitting with the people they used to. But these are the basic things that a club needs to consider. Um, and this goes for Tottenham as well. You know, you've moved a new stadium. Get get your members, you know, your hardcore members who are, who are going to sing and make a noise. Put them in one area and then... Get, you know, the older people, like God bless them, with hip replacements who are going to sit down all game and then put them in a different area and then get the kids in a different area. And I don't feel West Ham have found that place yet. And at the same time, the football has been has been in the main pretty poor. Um, some of the signings they've brought in haven't really taken off. They've been unlucky. You know, Yarmolenko's had a bad injury. He's been out for a long time. You know, Lanzini, oh. Lanzini's a type of player and get, crowd, get the crowd on their feet. They haven't got a player at the minute who can get the crowd on their feet and... That's that's probably it's pro- you know it's a two way thing is the point I'm trying to make. You need exciting players to generate an atmosphere, and then when the atmosphere is up, you get what you're about to talk about, a Bramell Lane, and it brings out the best in terrible footballers. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, let's move on. Let's move to uh, the game between Sheffield United and Manchester United. That was, of course, the Super Sunday game. It ended three three. Sheffield United were two goals to the good before being pegged back uh, by Manchester United, who actually took the lead. Uh, there was a late uh, equaliser from Sheffield United. Bit of VAR there, uh, where the video assistant referee had a look at the goal. It stood in the end. I thought it should have stood for the record. I thought it was the right decision. Um, before we come on to talk about Manchester United, let's just touch on Sheffield United briefly because they have been fantastic this season. They've been excellent. And when I complain about Arsenal and I complain about Unai Emery, the, the main point I always make is that I'm sick and tired of having a manager with no philosophy and with no character. Chris Wilder's got that in an abundance. He hasn't particularly got a talented squad of players, but he's got a group of players that buy into exactly what it is he wants to do and they implement it perfectly. I mean, Alavi, that first half in particular, Manchester United were completely out overrun, overpowered and outplayed, weren't they? Yeah, I think it's it would probably, you know, I think you have to be fair to Sheffield United as bad as Manchester United were. Sheffield United actually controlled a lot of the game. And like you touched upon, they didn't have loads of money to spend. They didn't do a full up and go a full up and go up and spend millions and millions. They they've got players who were there when they were uh, you know, when they won League One many years ago. Um I think McGuire Flint McGuire scored the first goal. He was there when they won the League One a few years ago. They've got players who have come up through playing non-league football. I think they've come from behind and got points maybe five times this season. Do they have any standout players? Probably not. But it just shows what sort of the siege mentality can do. Probably what DeLuca would want Jose to do to some degree at at Spurs. I don't think it's going to continue at Sheffield United. You know, they're not obviously going to stay there. I think they've got a really tough, tough period um, first three weeks of January where they've got to go play City twice uh, and a lot of the other big sides. However, you know, you'd probably look at them and think they're not going to go down anymore. They'll probably finish mid-table. And the way I see it is if all these players are roughly of the same calibre, whether you're a Sheffield United or a Norwich or whatever, the only difference has to just be the manager and the enthusiasm and the confidence. I can't think of anything else that it it could be. You can't just have that many good days, that many bad days, that much good luck, that much bad luck. 
So I think you should take him at Arsenal, to be honest, while you can. Well, I mean, uh, and I made the point when I, I put the tweet out yesterday. I, I praise Chris Wilder. I think he's done a fantastic job. But, you know, he hasn't done enough for me to say he deserves a job like Arsenal. Arsenal are a huge club. Let's not forget that. And, you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Unai Emery in a moment. But, Dan, um, before we move on to Manchester United, how impressed with Sheffield United have you been? And I said to you yesterday, didn't I, watching them without Paddy Kenny in goal just doesn't feel right. <laughs> They've been, they've been fantastic, haven't they? Um, particularly, particularly at home. Um, and they've got the balance right between between defence and attack. You know, they've got a solid outfit. They, you know, they've got a, they've got, you know, a, a really good atmosphere um, that the crowd the crowd get right behind them. And they've got a couple of, you know, they've got a couple of fast players who get the ball forward quickly and they've got a clear strategy. And actually, while it's working, they haven't got to worry. I can't remember the last game they lost, if I'm honest. Um They've, they've almost got a result against Liverpool. They, I think that was the last game they lost. But they've played Chelsea, they've played Arsenal, they've played Man United, they've played Tottenham. They've got results against against all of those sides. And furthermore, they've deserved those results as well. They, you know, they, they've not been smashing grabs. They've been good performances. So, you know, I, I hope they stay up. You made the point at the beginning of the show about, you know, how close certain teams were to other teams and the, you know, the league table wasn't a disaster. I think there's only like four points between Sheffield United in sixth and here we go. Four points between, between yeah, Sheffield United sixth and and Everton, and you know we're talking about Marco Silva struggling to get through the day. There's only four points in that. You know, if Everton had beaten Norwich like they should do, they'd be one point behind Sheffield United. So the situation is still fragile. Um, they need to make hay while the sun is shine. Sun shines. The sun shining. We've seen a lot of clubs come up recently. You know, over the last few years and actually do do well at first, and and slowly things start to settle. So. You know, before that run that Alavi mentioned in January, if they can if they can put a few points on the board and hopefully make a good base. I do think, you know, the manager will keep him grounded. He seems pretty level headed. You know, you looked at his response when he had a bit of bad luck go against him at Tottenham and it was you know, he wasn't whinging or complaining or over exaggerating. It was very measured. I think his feet are on the ground and you know, it, it is always nice to see a team come up and prove everyone wrong and play and play in an exciting, positive way as well. So you know, I'm 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 quite happy for him. He he seems like a nice guy. You know, they're a great they're a, they're a great club, Sheffield United, and you know they're the sort of club that have suffered over the years through the introduction of the Premier League, where you know 20, 20 years ago, twenty I mean we're talking now, you know, twenty five years ago, you know they were playing in FA Cup semi finals. They were one of the founder members of the Premier League. Scored the first the first Premier League goal. Um, I think was scored by Sheffield United. I might be wrong about that. That could be bollocks. Um, but whatever whatever it. Whatever it is, you know, it's Brian Dean, wasn't it? Brian Dean. I don't know. He might be playing for Leeds at the time. Anyway, it's, I don't know. It's, it's it's not important. But the fact is, this this is a big club in a, in a big city, and it's you know, it's a, it's nice to see them holding their own in their first season up. Absolutely, um, Alavi. Manchester United. They were, let's be honest, they were dreadful for for at least seventy minutes in that game. But it never ceases to amaze me how much the momentum can swing in a game that. A team have not been in, in the slightest just by getting one goal back. Because the minute they scored, you knew, didn't you? You knew that Manchester United were going to at least come back level. They went one better. They went ahead. But there's still something that doesn't look right with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Man United. And every time you start to think that maybe they're heading in the right direction and maybe things are getting a little bit better, they regress again. And for me... I know they deserve some credit for, of course, getting themselves back into the game yesterday. But 
let's be honest, you know, they'll be kicking themselves now, won't they? That, that they've managed to, to having got yeah. themselves yeah, of course. Way. I mean, we're talking about a side that when we were growing up <clears throat> as neighbours, we, you know, they were the best team in England and now we're praising them for coming back behind from, you know, to Sheffield, against Sheffield United. For me, the, the problem with Manchester United is where do they go now? So, I, you know, I really rate Pogba highly, OK? So that's one player to come back. But we're not talking about a side that's got four or five injuries, you know. Talk about a side that's got their best player to come back, undoubtedly, a great goalkeeper, but you're really struggling. And I think it's a, a tricky... I'm not saying it's, you know, it's unassailable and they can't do anything about it, but it's a situation where Solskjaer has kept himself in a job by going on a really good run before the international break. And now they really need to make a decision because, you know, there's three other sides that are talking about sacking their manager, but there's a guy available in Pochettino that, and I don't know, Dan, you can enlighten me more, but Manchester United apparently always liked this guy right from when he was at, he was at Southampton. And it's like what I was saying about Spurs. Sometimes you just have to make that decision. And they've come out and they've backed Solskjaer and, and they you know, they're going to look stupid, I guess, if they keep going from manager to manager. But same situation as Spurs. You've got a manager now who's available. Better than, in my opinion, better, you know, he's better than their current manager, certainly. And, and I, 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 think, I still think that Jose is better than Poch in the same way that I definitely think Poch is better than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So do you stick or twist? And I think Manchester United now, I, if I, I would take the risk. I really would. I would, I would fork out the money is to get Poch. And I think he'd take the job. Yeah, oh, he'd, he'd walk there. I think I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that when would they... He those... Would he? Yeah, would I think he... he would. I think he would. Um, he, he said, Harry, that there's only two clubs he'll never manage in his life. And that's Barcelona because of his loyalties to Espanyol and Arsenal. But it's all, it's all good saying that, though, isn't it? Until someone waves a check in your face. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. But what I'm saying is he's never said that about Manchester United. But if, if, you're, if you're him now, um, you know, if this sounds ridiculous. I'm talking about Manchester United. Just before I make this point, Brian Dean was playing for Sheffield United when he scored the first ever Premier League goal. Oh, um, that is oh, oh dearie me. So, and it oh, was... They've got to be paying me to be on this show, surely. I am 100% sure that they must have mentioned that in the build-up to Sunday's game for you guys to know that. There is no way that you remember my, that without being my not, my not My knowledge yeah. of football, as I've proved time and time again, is encyclopedic. Um, so, no, do you know what it is? It's when you're young. Like, I can remember everything from, like, 93 to 2002. And then the next set of years, I just don't know. But at, yeah. the end of the at the end yeah. of the show, we can, we can go through Blackburn's, oh, uh, Blackburn's 95 team. So... Jesus. So, yeah, so I am convinced Shared. that I'm convinced that when Jose Mourinho was sacked last November, Tim Flowers, Timmy Flowers, Flowers, Ripley, let him make his point. Ripley, Mark Will Atkins, Cox. no one remembers Mark Atkins. Right, so I'm convinced when Solskjaer um, was sacked in November that, um, that they wanted Jose Mourinho. That's the only reason for bringing in Solskjaer on a six-month deal. That's that's the only reason. And they were waiting for him because Daniel Levy, they would have had the conversations like we were talking about earlier, weeks in advance. And Daniel Levy said, see you later, come back in the summer. We're halfway through a season. He's not going anywhere. Bearing in mind at that point, Tottenham were in a title race, you know, as unrealistic and short as it was. That's the reality of it. Um, 
For whatever reason, I couldn't even understand it then. He'd won 10 games in 11. And for whatever stupid reason, they gave him the job full-time. They didn't need to do it. And, and, if, and I believe if they didn't do that, at the end of the season, Jose um, um, Procatino would have resigned from Tottenham after the Champions League final and he'd be Manchester United manager today and he'd probably be happy and he wouldn't have had this blip. So if you're Manchester United now, it's the same thing we've spoken about earlier. Bayern Munich have got a temporary manager in charge. Real Madrid, Zidane there is so unstable. Why do Manchester United want to risk waiting for the man they wanted to begin with? It makes absolutely no sense. And you've got Allegri as another option who's currently unemployed. Who would walk to Manchester United? You know, what's he waiting for? So why are they going to persist with, let's be fair, this guy's a rookie. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a rookie manager and he looks like he's won a raffle to manage that football club. You've got to get rid of him. There is no logic to keeping that guy whatsoever. I can't I can't see it. I, I just can't understand it. I mean, even his post-match interviews, uh, they're terrible, aren't they? They're, they're not... I look at him and I listen to him and I, I don't see a Manchester United manager there. I see yeah. someone who's out of his depth, who's just simply happy to be there. And uh, yeah, a, gentleman, yeah. a gentleman called Lawrence, who I work with over at 90 Min, he, he always makes this point, And it's a great point. The guy was happy being a sub for his entire career. That says all you need to know about Oli. Do you know what is, Harry? As much as you like, you don't like, there's never an agenda. There's never like, a, you know, as much as you slate Mourinho or whatever, at least, you know, when he's doing his post-match interviews, you know that he is, he's either back. In, there's a reason to it. There's an agenda. There's a motive. Like, there's something going on in his brain which facilitates what he's saying. He's protecting his players. He's winding someone up. With Solskjaer, you just, you just look for something in the post-match uh, and you just don't get anything. Just like, like this kid who, like Dan said, has just like won a raffle ticket. You're like, just give me something. Like, give me, you know, mention that we're waiting for Pogba to come back because we've got this plan and the whole thing's going to just, just make something up on the spot that makes you sound clever. At least like, he just doesn't have that. He just doesn't have that star quality that you need nowadays. No. And to be a, ma a top manager at the top level, you do need that. Um, let's move on. Final, final sort of discussion uh, of the evening. Um, it's understood that David Moyes uh, could return to Everton. Of course, Marco Silva's, oh. Position God. is in danger. Um, and have done some work earlier on and he got together the odds uh, for the next Everton manager, David Moyes, is at evens. Now, we understand that if that was to happen, it would be on a short term basis, uh, probably till the end of this current campaign. David, Sorry, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a short term basis because he'll be sacked again for being rubbish. Yeah, That's right. why we're short term. There's that, that as well. <laughs> There's that as well. Uh, David Unsworth is at six to one. Mikel Arteta, of course working alongside Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, 10 to 1. Rafa Benitez, 11 to 1. Maurizio Pochettino, 16 to 1. And Arsene Wenger, 45 to 1. Now, Arsene Wenger, this is an interesting one because he has a, a strong connection with the Everton ownership. Not well, to mate. say that, yeah, well, yeah. I'm not saying that he's going to take the job because he did say he'd never manage another Premier League club or and all that stuff. But it's an interesting one, isn't it? Forty-five to one. It might be worth a cheeky tenner, um, you know, just to to see how that unfolds. Um, but Alavi, coming to you first, what have you made of a Marco Silva? Is it time for him to go? And the links with David Moyes. I mean, as an Everton fan, 
surely you'd be sitting there worried about that. I think if I was an Everton fan, I personally I would want Marco Silva to stay. Obviously, the chairman, because of his nationality, has my full backing, whatever he does. But I would want Marco Silva to stay. If, if you are going to replace him, I'd probably go for the guy that I thought should have managed Arsenal. And that's Mikel Arteta. But he's got that status at the club. I think he deserves a chance. But I probably wouldn't sack... Um, I guess the argument against Everton and, and, and sacking Marco Silva is he's, ta- he's done well at two premiership clubs before. He's taken them to a level. He's improved them. With Everton, he hasn't done that. Is that because the expectation's more? Probably so. You know, but they haven't even played like a lot of the top six or, or even Arsenal. Obviously, I think they're playing Arsenal. Um, they've got them to come in a few three, weeks. Three or four games time. Yeah, they've got a horrendous yeah, yeah. run. I think they've, and horrendous. that's the other thing. They've got a horrendous run. So, you know, do you, do you bring in someone before this horrendous run? Or do you wait till after and just look at them as you're not going to get many points on the board? You look at some of the stats that people have been throwing about, like oh, Everton, you know, the, you know, only City beat them in possession you know, last year. And, you know, since Marco Silva's tenure, there's no one else, no other team apart from City have, um, you know, crossed more into the box. Yeah, that's great. But if you don't do anything with possession, if you don't... Um, if you don't do anything with those shots, then it's irrelevant. I don't think they've ever truly replaced Lukaku. It's like I said at the time, I think if you get 80 million for a player and you are an Everton or a West Ham, you're not going to get that 25, 30 goals. You're just going to get three sort of average players for that money. Right. It, hold on. So, this is this is a point I want to make. Sorry to cut you there. No, no, go um, on. Looking at their last results. Now, of course, the, the home defeat against Norwich, just unacceptable for, for most clubs in the division, let alone a club with the ambitions that Everton have. But let's let's go a little bit further back. A 2-1 win at Southampton, um, an away win, a draw with Spurs, which is by no means an embarrassing result. Uh, a defeat at Brighton, 3-2, could easily lose that on the road. They beat West Ham 2-0. Um, and then, of course, they lost at Burnley, who are in pretty good form, and they lost at City. Now, the results are not... You don't look at that set of results and think, my God, that is terrible, do you? So but that's the Premier League, Harry. You could go through the entire other 19 teams and make up some reason as to why it's fathomable that they could possibly draw or lose that game. No, I, I know that. But the, the point I'm trying to make is it's not like they've lost three on the bounce or they've lost four on the five on the no. bounce and, and the pressure's really been mounting up for weeks. This is, I think, a, a, a frustration that has been... Yeah, sort of in the minds of Everton fans for a while now. This is not a knee-jerk thing. And I, I find that with Silver. It's, uh, there's so many ups and downs, and it seems to be the case wherever he goes. Dan, what, what, what have you made of him? Um, so I think Marco Silver is someone that I've got, I've got wrong. He's someone from the day he come here, for whatever reason, I rated him. I thought he would succeed. I thought he'd do a good job. Um, I don't think he is a good enough manager to manage in, in, in the Premier League for whatever reason. Um, it's not working out for him. You know, we thought we did a reasonable job at Hull. Okay, they did get relegated. Wasn't really his fault, but, it, you know, it did happen after initial start. At Watford, in the end, he didn't pull up any trees. Again, there were excuses. Um, he's not doing a good enough job at Everton Football Club over the course of the time he's been there. Um, so, I think 
like you said, it's quite interesting you pointed those results out there because when you read them out individually, you know, as a group of three or four, and then individually, they're not that they're not that bad. You, you're right, and it, and it and it's a good point. I guess Goodison Park used to be something of a fortress where nobody liked to go. We've just spoke about their next four fixtures, and I think the measure of where Silver is at, at Everton is no one's got any confidence in them picking any results up there whatsoever from those from those four games. So I think that's an issue. Um, and here's some more encyclopedic knowledge for you. And, and again, this is you know this is stuff I just happen to know. But Marco Silva is the only manager to let in six at home with three different Premier League clubs. So wow. there is something fundamentally wrong with his approach. You know, it's yeah. like a you know similar to a Martinez. All right, you know, one of those was might have been against Manchester City. <clears throat> you know, you might say it's unlucky. One was against Tottenham where they got ripped into shreds. I think two were against Tottenham actually. But it's, it's not the point. You know. If you're not managing one of the top clubs, you need to be able to, you know, stabilise what you have got. And I don't think he's got done a good enough job there. I think part of Everton's problem, um, and Everton fans aren't going to thank me for this, but since the owners come in, there's always been this constant undertone of what they might spend or, you know, who they might bring in, what massive names they're going to be linked with. None of that's materialised either in the dugout or on the pitch. And you've got a, a, some Everton fans who have got a higher opinion of the playing squad and the club than what is actually the reality. Um, yeah. And just because, you know, your owner's a, 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 a billionaire, you know what, most owners are billionaires in the Premier League, unfortunately. And the reality is, I, you know, they're nowhere near where they need to be. But the agenda set, Marco Silva is not the right man and they, they, need, they need to make a move. But there was, there was an Everton fan on the radio earlier and he was talking about why Silva had to go. And he said... You know, he was talking about Tottenham who just replaced their manager. And he said, well, if you take Harry Kane out of the equation, which always makes me laugh because Harry Kane plays for Tottenham. So you can't just take him out. But he said, he said, <laughs> if you take if you take Harry Kane out of the equation, um, you know, we're pretty much we're pretty much the same as Tottenham for player for player. And I'm thinking Jesus. if that is but I'm thinking if that is your delusional point of view, it, it's a wonder what what on earth what on earth is ever going to make you happy. Because you've got to realise that actually there's two things at play here. I think Silver is doing the best with the squad he's got. He spent quite a lot of money. Um, perhaps that money hasn't been spent wisely, so that's something in a negative column. Column, and the second thing is Silver might be doing his best. The reality is Silver's best isn't good enough. Yeah. Um, and at some point between now and the next four games, I believe Everton will be looking for replacements, and they'll get the best possible man they can get. But I don't think the Everton the Everton fans are going to be happy with who they bring in. I've got to be honest. There's, there's only it's... so much he can blame on injuries as well, right? Like I know he's had the horrendous <coughs> injury. He's had uh, is it Gabamin, the Ivory Coast player who um, is still out injured? But Idris but... Idris, Idris, Idris Gay. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. We've got no. another one. They signed from um, uh, Ivory Coast. Gabamin, I think his name is. He plays. He definitely plays for the Ivory Coast. He's been injured for a while. Um, but I read that Silva has never, ever won a game with Everton that he went behind in, which okay. I don't know if, if you think the number of games, you know, Dan, you're a man of odds and <laughs> probability, that does show some like, lack of resilience and ability to change things. And, you know, yeah. OK. It's not because they don't go behind very much, is it? No, <laughs> no, this is yeah. what I mean. It like, strikes me as somebody who, in the dugout, he sits and feels sorry for himself when things aren't necessarily going his way and he's not maybe proactive enough. I don't know. Who knows? Um, I thought you loved him. I, I did. I did. I, I, I'm like Dan. I, I got him wrong. I, I thought he was a very uh, good manager, but obviously that isn't the case. Uh, it is good book. 
Gobamin from Mines. They signed him. Uh, thanks to Jordan in the comments uh, for pointing that out. Alavi's pronunciation of names is so bad, even worse than mine, that we struggle to. I know think I've got that one. Do I think, think I may is, have got is, that one right, actually. But but this is actually this is actually a really pertinent point, actually, because there's three people here who know an awful lot about football and like. You know, we know stupid things that people who watched a game yesterday probably don't even know, and they actually watched it. And I know it without even watching it. The point is, we're talking about a club who have bought in a chairman. They've been promised all these big players, you know, for two or three seasons now. All these big name managers. They've signed a player from Mainz, and the three of us like don't even know who he is. Like this sums up the well, situation Everton are in at the minute. All right, well, I love you. You know, I'll, you take my you take my point like you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i know it's, it's like who is west ham like i i don't yeah. I, okay okay i might know i know everton i'll try and look into everton because i'm an owner but i don't know half the players west ham signed i don't know anything about them that's right sorry go on Dan. final point there go no ahead. i was just saying and that's it like you know there's all these big names who are supposed to be coming in and they're signing players that no one really knows who they are and the fans have got this, you know, this expectation that isn't it isn't going to land. Absolutely, that's spot on, uh, guys. We've come to the end of the show. Let's quickly have a look at the Premier League table as it stands at the moment. Of course, Liverpool still top. Leicester remain in second. Manchester City have leapfrogged Chelsea up into third. Wolves have crept up into fifth place. They've been quietly going about their business after a disappointing start to the season. Sheffield United are up into sixth. Burnley going really well as well this season. Then Arsenal, Man United and Spurs in eighth, ninth and tenth, which is simply not good enough for those three clubs and for clubs of that size. If we scroll down right to the very bottom, West Ham hovering dangerously above the relegation zone. Uh, Norwich, Southampton and Watford make up the bottom three. Uh, that brings us to the end of another edition of the Premier League show. Don't forget, this show was brought to you by JW Betting and TVSportsBlog.com. The links are in the description. Please head over and check out those two fantastic websites. Get involved. Some brilliant betting tips over there. Dan, you'll like JW Betting. It's, it's right up your street. Um, I think, they'll, check I think it out. They'll, they'll like me in a minute, to be honest. I think they will. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Right. We're going to leave it there, guys, and we'll be back very, very soon with more. We'll be bringing you this show weekly moving forward as long as Alavi can stay up past nine o'clock. Um, we're all good. Uh, we'll be back very soon. So until then, take care. <laughs>